0: Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread on our iniquities. You. We'll cast out all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness and steadfast love. You've sworn it to our fathers from the days of old. What a great promise from Micah chapter 7. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as our choir just sang, that is our prayer this morning. Lord, have mercy. Be merciful to us, we pray. Humble our hearts this morning. Open our eyes to your word. God, that we would be sensitive to the spirit that our hearts would be bent towards you, that our minds would be rested in you for these next few minutes, we pray. Christ, have mercy on us. Draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the pictures you get when you ask a young child a simple question, like, describe love. What does love look like? One child said love looks like my grandfather painting my grandmother's toenails because she can no longer reach them. Love looks like, another child said, love looks like uh, two, two teenagers, one putting on uh, cologne and uh, the other one putting on perfume so they can go out and smell each other. <laughs> Another child said, Love looks like my mom uh, fixing the coffee for my dad and taking a sip on the way to him to make sure it tastes okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's why she doesn't. Another child said this If you want to learn how to love better, start with a friend you hate. If you want to learn how to love better, start with a friend you hate. Now, that's a mouth of babes kind of moment, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's the wisdom from the mouth of babes. A friend you hate. Not just someone you hate, but a friend you hate. Think about that. Life is difficult, isn't it? Mainly because people are difficult. Life is difficult because people, we as people can be difficult. I mean, I think about my, myself. I, when I used to, when I, in my younger day... When I used to be impatient, <laughs> I would get on the phone with some customer service person and I would try to win the argument. And then I could hear Dr. Phil in the background. How's that working for you? Right? Right? I was on the phone with a customer service person a few months ago and I remember how hot I was. I was so mad. I was so mad. For people under 30, that means mad. Hot. Mad. All right. I was so upset, and I was on the phone with this person, and I thought to myself, you know what? I, I know it's going to come across in, in my tone of voice. So this is what I said. I said, look, I'm really upset right now with your company, and I know that you are not your company. But you're going to feel a little bit of a heat, and I'm sorry. Don't, pers- don't take it personally, all right? And sometimes, you know, the way we, the way we relate to our own field of stuff, of, of, of work is negative just because of dealing with people. I've heard time and time again people in different fields of work say, you know, I wouldn't want my son or daughter to go into this. And I often wonder if the reason why they wouldn't want their son or daughter to walk in their footsteps is simply because of the experience, not in that field, but that just happens to be the field they were standing in when they were dealing with life, dealing with life as difficult and dealing with difficult people. Life is difficult. Mainly because we're difficult people. It's true for the church too. I mean I I, I deal with people. Right? I mean my job is pretty people intensive, right? And and they they tell me you know, there's a Gallup study that says most pastors leave their position. Within five years. I'm talking about they leave ministry altogether. 80% do. 80% leave ministry because of dealing with the difficulty of dealing with people. Mainly, dealing with difficult people for pastors is conflict. It's conflict. Someone's always upset with somebody else, right? There's somebody else, and and we think to ourselves, it's supposed to be different in the church, right? And we come, sometimes we come with expectations that somehow we're going to need forgiveness less in the church. I forgive that guy. Somebody go reach out to him. Come on in here. Sometimes we think we need forgiveness less in the church because somehow we think we need it less. We don't need forgiveness less in the church. We need to practice it more, Howard. We don't need less forgiveness in the church. We need to be a people who practice it more. How do we become better forgivers? Somebody said, A good marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Isn't that great? So, too, with every relationship that we have, especially in the church, we want to demonstrate the love of Christ. It doesn't mean we're not going to have conflict. It doesn't mean we're not going to offend each other and step on each each other's toes on occasion. But it does mean that we should have a higher expectation that we're going to deal with reality, that we're going to deal with what happened, that we're going to face it, that we're going to talk to each other, and that we're going to practice forgiveness. At the beginning of a new year, a new season, a new school year, a new new trajectory of ministry for us, a new start. Seemed fitting to me that our new start should start with forgiveness. How do we become better forgivers? That's the question of the day. How? How do we become better forgivers? Forgivers. Someone said, "Practice makes perfect." Not so sure about that. What I found in my life is that practice makes permanent. What you practice is what you get good at. Or, for you uh, uh, teachers out there, what you get good at doing. All right. I'm sorry. Andy, for the preposition. Sorry. Forgive me. Practice forgiving, you become a good forgiver. Practice accumulating wrongs, you become a good pilot. You heard uh, Micah seven eighteen through uh, 20 this morning. I want to read to you from the New Testament a parable. It's a number and a parable, an important number that Jesus uses, 70 times 7, and an important parable that tells us all about The two ways that we can become good forgivers. Let's take a look. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, if you ever want to know about dealing with people, how do we biblically, in a healthy way, deal with people? You think Matthew 18. Matthew 18. This morning, we're going to start with verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Don't pull out your calculator. Don't pull out your calculator. Yet. He continues, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And talents is like a day's wage. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 Denari, pocket change compared to what he owned and seizing him he began to choke him saying pay what you owe so this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him have patience with me and i will pay you he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt when his fellow servants saw that what all that had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you and in anger." His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly father, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. How do we become good forgivers? Practice makes permanent. Let's look at two practices. First practice is keeping small things small, and the second one is shrinking big things. Keep small things small and shrink up big things so that they become small. First, keeping small things small. Keeping small things small. Overlooking an offense. That's our question. Every time something happens, multiple things, we're talking about people in your life who commit repeated offenses because it's just going to happen. It's going to be a different thing uh, every day. Maybe not every day, but every time it happens, it may be something different. Right? So that's what we're talking about. Small offenses, things that we do by accident, things that we do on purpose. And Jesus says, overlook it, don't pile it up. Keeping track, keeping track. Straw by straw by straw by straw by straw. It accumulates and it begins to feel big, doesn't it? As someone said, no snowflake in an avalanche feels responsible, right? (laughs) So every one of these accumulated offenses, when you add them all up, they become big. Why did that person, why did that person that was driving next to me get so upset? Road rage, right? Road rage. Well, picture them. There you are. You're driving down the road, and they're on your left-hand side, and, and, and maybe, maybe you sped up. You know, maybe it, was, maybe it was your cruise control, all right? And this happens all the time, right? And, and you're on some hill, and your cruise control kicks in, and suddenly you start looking like you're racing this guy. And you know you're sitting there kind of going, it's just my cruise control. It's fine. And that guy gets so upset. Poor gal, gets so upset, and you think, why are they so upset over this little thing? Why road rage? Well, the reason is the pile. It's a pile. That's a pile. They're taking all these straws and piling them up, and yours just happened to be the last straw on the very top. And you, can't, you cannot see around the pile. A pile an accumulator. Jesus says, forgive 70 times 7 because what you practice is what you get. It's a number too big to measure. You know, the, the, the number 7 is meaningful. The number 7 stands for completion. Obviously, it goes back to the, the, the first uh, part of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, where God completes His work on day 7. And so 7, anytime you see 7 in the Bible... It's a significant number of completion. But see, what's happening here is is the disciples are trying to measure the minimum, right? They're trying to say, all right, what's the minimum I can get by? And Peter's saying to Jesus, what what do I have to do? Do I have to forgive somebody every day? Um, Do I have to forgive them seven times over their lifetime? And Jesus is saying, no, 70 times 70. He's just saying, he's using hyperbole. He's using a number too big to count. You can't keep track. Of 70 times 7. You have to give it up. You have to give up. I can't keep track of 70 times 7. How many times? What do you want? 376? I can't keep track of that. That's the point and purpose of it. Practice not keeping track. Practice makes permanent. Practice being a forgiver, you become a forgiver. You practice being a pilot, you become a pilot. A pilot. Road rage. can't see over it. And said, say, well, Tim, what about what about this idea that, you know, that makes me into the proverbial doormat? I just let people get away with everything? It doesn't matter I'm just a wet noodle, you know, I'm just a doormat. Or I'm just, I just, you know, I'm just constantly pretending that everything's okay. No, this isn't about pretending. This is about being real. It's about being real with the fact that tomorrow you're going to have the need for forgiveness. You're going to have that need. It never fails. I, I often... I, I, I'm driving around town. Y'all going to think I'm, I'm just a terrible driver. But I, I, I'm, I'm driving around town, and, and, I, and I, I, I see somebody pull out in front of me, right? And I, and I feel upset about it, right? I feel upset, and I just think, I can't believe that person did that. Right? And it never fails. By the end of the day, I've done it to somebody else. You know, I mean, it's like, there I go. Isn't it amazing? I, I'm pointing the finger. And my kids would say, you point the finger at somebody, and you have three pointing back at you, right? And so there's... I'm sorry, I have to demonstrate that. There's no response from the whole crowd. Uh, People on the radio, I'm sorry, there's no love in the room right now. No love. You point the finger, and you have three pointing back at you, all right? Maybe you've heard before and you're just tired of the joke. Okay, I I get it. Let's move on. But there I am. I'm I'm in the middle of Thomasville, Georgia with three fingers pointing back at me because I did it. I did the same thing that I thought, I can't believe that person would do that. And we all think that. We all think that they're the only person who would do such a thing. I'm not capable of pulling out in front of somebody, not giving them enough room to stop. And so we practice. We practice resentment. We practice piling up all these little offenses. But you say, Tim, what what am I supposed to do? Just let everything go and, and never hold anyone accountable to anything? No, I'm not saying that. I'm talking about being real about the fact that we have a need for forgiveness, right? Let's practice it for others because our turn is coming. It doesn't mean that you don't deal with those things that are happening. It doesn't mean, forgiveness doesn't mean pretending. A woman, a woman said one time, she said, I just can't live in a world where he will get off the hook for that. And then she said this, So I'm going to hold the hook wow practice makes permanent a piler a hook holder that's what we can become but again the question hangs in the air what about those things do we not talk to each other about yes if there's a pattern if there's a pattern You deal with that, but you don't deal with it in a reactive way. And this is part of what what Jesus is trying to build into the life of this church, a place where people don't react to each other, but a place where people step towards each other intentionally. So let's just say uh, something happens and and you overlook it and then it happens again and you overlook it again and then it happens again and you say, you know what, I'm going to sit down the next time this happens, I'm going to sit down. Or maybe it happened yesterday, even better. It happened yesterday. And you come back and you say, you know, I'd like to talk to you about something. That happened yesterday. When you said this, it really made me feel, made me feel bad. Made me feel disrespected. And I just want you to know I felt that way. I love you. I care about you. But I don't want you to to talk to me like that in front of other people again. Um, I had to do that very thing this week. I had to do that with somebody. I know they're not here. This is somebody outside the church. And, and I had to just say, hey, look, you know, I, I understand you You make a really good point. You make a really good point. But, and, and I will consider what you're telling me, but don't call me out like that in front of a bunch of people. It's hard for me to hear it. It's easier for me to hear it when you don't react like that. And so, yeah, you deal with patterns. Of course you do. You don't just pretend. Forgiveness is not... Just saying, I- I'm ignorant that anything happened. That's, that's false. But practicing being a forgiver, it, it, it's, it's to, to know exactly what the cost of it is. There is a cost to forgiveness, to letting someone off the hook. And so we practice because practice makes permanent. We keep small things small. Small. And you keep close accounts. What does that mean? I'm not an accountant, so so I never understood exactly what close account. What does that mean? That means you deal with it soon. As soon as it it really begins to become a pattern and you feel like you can't let it go, you do need to sit down and talk to this person face to face. Not everybody else, right? That's the easy thing to do. All right, this person offended me, right? And so I'm going to talk to everyone around them. And what do I hope happens? And we hope it kind of trickles down to them and someone else will do the difficult work, the dirty work, of letting them know that I was offended. It's a coward's way out. And so we keep close accounts. We have to say, we have to say to each other, this is what happened. I'm working on forgiveness. I'm letting it go. But see, when people know that that's happened to us, then they can see They can see in your attitude, in your life, in the way you treat them later, that you're a forgiver. And you begin to demonstrate forgiveness in your own life. That's how it's supposed to work. Forgiveness is not just supposed to be this thing that happens because we're all just walking around pretending nothing's wrong. Forgiveness is the thing that happens because we, as people, can deal with what's wrong. Sometimes when it's small, we keep it small and we just let it go, right? A a great marriage is the union of two good forgivers. We just let certain things go. Just let them go, let them go, let them go. It's a straw. It's a straw. Let it go. But again, sometimes when it becomes a pattern, proactively time it, right? Pick a time. Be intentional. Don't just let your emotion trigger it and say, you know what? You've done this three times and I'm mad. That's... Reacting. Keep small things small Second, practice keeping big things shrinking Practice shrinking those big things Keep small things small But those big offenses in your life Those big things that happen Those big hurts, those deep hurts Those things that are, they linger And they're difficult to let go of We are called to shrink them To make them small We're called to do it. And you say, you know, Tim, I can forgive somebody, right? But I'm having trouble forgetting. I understand that. I get that. I get it. But let's think of the woman who said, I can't live in a world where he gets away with that. So I'm holding the hook. Let's think about that. Let's think about how life is going for that person. Let's consider how holding the hook is working for that person. How's that working? Let's consider. You've heard this expression before, and it fits right in here. The expression is this. Sometimes we hold on to a grudge to drink poison, expecting the other person to die. Holding on to a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Corrie Ten Boom is, is someone who had a lot to forgive. Corrie Ten Boom, you've probably heard of her through The Hiding Place. It's a book. It's a movie. Corrie Ten Boom was a Christian in Nazi Germany, and she and her sister uh, quietly, secretly housed... Jews, so that they would be free, safe from the concentration camps. They were discovered, and Corey and her sister were also put into concentration camps. And in the movie The Hiding Place, you see that every day brings a new indignity, indignity. every day brings a new offense, every day brings a 490, that's the math, 70 times 7. Every day brings a new offense that has to be overlooked. What do you mean? By, are you saying by, by their enemies? Are you saying by the people that were holding them captive, they were called to forgive those people for those, all those incidental and purposeful, even malicious offenses? Yes. What's your alternative? You can hold the hook. You can hold the hook. You can drink the poison. You can sip, 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 sip your whole life and it's not going to do a thing to bring justice. It's just going to hurt you. Now, two years ago, I told a story about a bell. and Maybe some of you remember this because I, I tried to get the bell ringing at the time that I was, I was talking about. It didn't quite work out. It wasn't my fault. No, it was my fault. <laughs> but what I realized... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, is that the story that I told a couple of years ago? I didn't know this at the time I told it, but the story about the bell was Corey Ten Boom. I'm going to tell you the story again because it's so much more powerful and more meaningful to me knowing who it was. She had a huge offense to forgive. She had a massive offense that was hanging over her life like a cloud. She was holding the hook. She was drinking the poison. And she went to a Lutheran pastor, and she said to him, help me forgive. And he entered into a season of this with her. And she said, she said this. She said, I confessed my failure after two sleepless weeks. You see, in trying to forgive, the big thing, the big thing, the offense of being put in the concentration camp, the offense of his awful atrocities that she had to bear witness to, Not the everyday little hurts, but the big, massive idea of having her freedom robbed and her dignity stripped from her. She had a huge thing to forgive, and she wanted to shrink it. And when she went at it to intentionally forgive it, it got worse. It got worse. She said, I confess my failure after two sleepless weeks. And he said to her, he said said this. He painted a picture. Up in the church tower, he said, nodding out the window, is a bell which is rung by pulling a rope. But after the sexton lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging. First ding, then dong, slower and slower until there's a final dong and then it stops. I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness, he said. When we forgive, we take our hand off the rope. But if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long, long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming up for a while. And then he said this to her, he said, But they are just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. Tim Boom says it was true." She said, "And so it proved to be. There were a few more midnight reverberations, a couple of dings when the subject came up in my conversations, but the force, the force, which was my willingness in the matter, had gone out of them. They came less and less often. And at the last, they stopped altogether. We can trust God, not only above our emotions, but also above our thoughts. Why is seven so significant? It's a number of completion. You're having trouble letting go of the big thing? Consider Jesus' final words on the cross, on your behalf, on my behalf. It is is finished.